The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. From Hollywood, the Hollywood Radio Theater. Starring Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright in The Steel Trap. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving Cummings. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever you've gone to a bank to deposit your paycheck or withdraw extra funds, have you ever thought what a temptation it might be to hold thousands of dollars in your own two hands day after day? In tonight's play, The Steel Trap, the temptation leads to a careful plan, a unique plan which requires perfect timing to succeed. And as our stars of this engrossing story, produced by Bert Friedlob of 20th Century Fox, we have Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright recreating their original roles. Now, The Steel Trap, starring Joseph Cotton as Jim Osborne and Teresa Wright as Laurie. I left the same house at approximately the same hour every working day for over 11 years. I caught the same trolley car in the same rush. I emerged at the same terminal and dodged the same traffic, rounded the same corner and entered the same bank. My name is James Osborne. I started at the bank as an assistant teller. Now I'm assistant manager, and today I'm breaking in another assistant teller. In 11 years, he'll probably be doing what I'm doing. Who knows? Anyway, I've just taken him downstairs to the vault. I hate to put you to all this trouble, Mr. Osborne. I know how busy you are. Oh, forget it now. There's one thing to remember. You can't get into this vault before 8 a.m. Time lock, huh? Right. Now, this large safe here is for Mr. Bradley, the chief teller. Inside are six smaller safes, uh, one for each assistant teller. Oh, you know your combination? Yes, sir. <laughs> Good. Then you know more than I do. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know only the first half of the combinations. Each teller knows only the last half of the combination of his own safe. 
That's, that's yours to the left there. And go ahead and open it. And that's all there is to it, huh? Well, here goes. That's all there is to it. How often that thought had entered my mind. What a cinch it would be to watch a teller and memorize his half of the combination. Must have occurred to others, and I wondered if anyone had ever taken advantage of it. Well, I've got it open, Mr. Osborne. You take your money tray to Mr. Bradley. He'll give you whatever you'll need for the day's business. Thanks again, Mr. Osborne. The idea of robbing the safes had occurred to me before often, in fact, an amusing thought to dwell on while shaving or riding to work. That's all there is to it, huh? Funny how that innocent remark acted on me like a psychological blockbuster. Slowly, insidiously, an idea began taking possession of my mind. I was upstairs now at my desk, and someone was talking to me, but I didn't hear a word he said. What's the matter, Jim? Anything wrong? Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Ken. Here, you wanted the file on that Burbank housing project. Thanks. You got a problem? Something on your mind? <laughs> no, I've been thinking. I have a wonderful wife and a wonderful little girl. My health's good. I've got a steady job and a reasonably secure future. You know something, Ken? I should be a pretty contented man. So? So, that's what was on my mind. <laughs> well, I'll see you in the conference room. 11.30. Yes, there was a strange fascination to the idea of stealing the money. It was exciting, stimulating just to think about it. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. There it was, there it grew, and there it stayed. That noon, instead of lunch, I dropped by the local office of the State Department. I'm afraid we can't help you very much. Better write our office in Washington. Extradition laws are pretty complicated. How long before I get an answer? Oh, a couple of weeks. Extradition's loaded with red tape, international treaties, and court procedure. You're in a hurry, huh? Well, I, I'm writing a thesis on forensic banking. It's for my M.A. degree. It covers every phase of crime in connection with banking. Why not try the public library? You can find all our treaties in the statutes at large volumes. Well, that's a good idea. Thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> There were moments that afternoon when I was shocked by the enormity of my own thoughts and a terrible fear would come over me. And then again, I found myself restlessly watching the clock waiting for the closing time so I could get to that library. But first, there was Laurie. I'd have to telephone Laurie. Oh, but Jim, I've got dinner all planned. I'm sorry, darling, but they've, well, just called a meeting and I've got to stay over for it. I doubt if I can get home before 11. Well, just be careful. How's Susan? She's fine. She's out playing. I'll phone again later on. Thanks. She'll want to talk to you. See you later, dear. All right. In all the years we'd been married, Laurie and I, I'd never lied to her before. That night at the library, I checked a dozen different countries, but they all had extradition treaties. In any one of them, I'd be subject to arrest and return to the United States. And suddenly... I made an incredible discovery. In 1913, for some unaccountable reason, Brazil revoked her extradition treaty. There actually was a country without an extradition law, a choice country, close enough to be reached between the time that the bank would close on Friday and its opening on Monday morning. There, there in black and white lay the turning point in my thinking. The idea now became, became an obsession. And then I remembered something. An office memorandum. To all employees, summer banking hours will terminate on September 1st. 
Starting on this date, the bank again will be open on Saturdays until noon. I had no choice. This weekend was the deadline, my last chance for a 48-hour getaway. I left the library. I knew Laurie would be up waiting for me. And I had to decide on exactly what I'd tell her. Come in the kitchen, dear. I've got coffee all ready. Tired? Uh, it's been a long day. How's Susan? Oh, she's fine. I let her stay up and watch television. I thought it was broken. Well, that's one thing I did today. I had it fixed. Good. The first man I called in wanted $18. The next one said $32, and the third one said all that was wrong was a loose wire. He didn't charge me anything. $32? It's getting so you just can't trust anybody. I don't know. Integrity seems to be a thing of the past. Well, now what was your meeting all about? Brazil. Brazil? <laughs> Sit down, Laurie. There, well, there's a big deal cooking, and the bank selected me to go. To Brazil? Well, it's only for a couple of weeks. Well, I don't understand. Wouldn't this come more under Ken Woodley's department? Oh, uh, actually, yes. And that's one of the reasons to keep it quiet. Now, the bank's oh, given me a kind of a jump over Ken. They haven't told him about it yet. Besides, it's a confidential mission. Oh, darling, that's terrific. That's not all. I'm taking you and Susan with me. Oh, Jim, now... Now, please, you wouldn't kid me about a thing like that. When we leave by plane for Rio Friday night. Oh, darling, how exciting and right out of the blue. But oh, how does the bank feel about paying our way down there? Well, I'll pay it. What difference does it make? Oh, there's nothing I'd rather do than go naturally, but won't it put an awful hole in our savings? Laurie, I wouldn't go without you. If you said no, I'd understand. We've never been separated. That's the way we planned it before we were married, and... I still feel the same way about it. You do, really? <laughs> I want you with me always, Laurie. And you know what I want? All I want is... <gasps> Holy smoke! Friday? Well, that only gives us two days. What about... Well, about passports and everything. Oh, in an emergency, they can rush them through. Now, I'll have to be at the passport bureau at nine in the morning, and I want you and Susan to meet me there. Oh, Jim, do you really think it's wise to take Susan? She's still such a little girl, and so many things can happen. What can happen? Well, a long trip by air and strange food, strange water. We can send her to Mother, or Mother can come here. Oh, but she'd love to go. No, please, dear, I just wouldn't feel right about it. I want her to go, Laurie. You think about it, dear. You'll see. It would be silly to take her, really. I could see that Laurie's mind was made up, but, well, then I realized that once we were in Brazil... No one in the world could stop me from sending for my own daughter. At nine the next morning, Laurie and I were in the passport office. Don't misunderstand me, Mr. Osborne. I recognize the urgency, but emergency passports have to be screened very carefully. But I've shown you my credentials from the bank. Credentials can be forged. Really, Mr. Greer? I don't mean to be rude, but I... Well, you don't mind if I phone the bank, do you? Yes. I'm going to Brazil on a very confidential matter. There are people at the bank who, who don't know about it, and well, if word gets out that I'm going, there may have... I'll to... be discreet, Mr. Osborne. There's no occasion to... Uh... Oh, hello. Uh, will you connect me with Mr. James Osborne, please? Well, he's standing right here. I'm sorry, but it's my business to verify that. May I speak to Mr. Osborne, please? Oh, I see. If you have any doubts, ask for Mr. Bowers. He's the manager. Laurie, please. No, that's not necessary. Thank you. Well... I'll have your passports by 4 o'clock Friday afternoon. That'll give you time to pick them up and have your visas stamped at the Brazilian consulate. We can definitely rely on that. 
Yes, I think so. Thank you. You're quite welcome, Mr. Osmond. I reached the bank about an hour later. I made my excuses for being late and went about my duties. If I was nervous, no one seemed to notice it. That evening, Laurie had the news I was waiting for. And they call this afternoon, dear, the airline. They're holding tickets for us. They've cleared us straight through to Rio. Oh, wonderful. We leave tomorrow night at 7.30. What time do we get to New Orleans? Oh, kind of a funny hour, dear, 3 a.m. Well, couldn't be better. Plenty of leeway to catch the other plane. I've been packing all afternoon. I had the cleaner do a rush job on your new blue suit, and... Oh, oh I phoned Mother. Well? She'll drive down in the morning. You see, darling, everything's working out perfectly. You, you didn't tell her we were going to Rio, did you? Well, of course I told her. Suppose she wanted to reach us or something happened to Susan. Oh, sorry. Don't worry, dear. Mother won't say a word to anyone. Now, Laurie, about, about our passports, I won't be able to leave the bank in time to pick them up, but I've made arrangements with Mr. Greer. He'll send them directly to the Brazilian consulate. Well, I'll just go down there and pick them up. You'll have to. Now, the consulate closes at 5 o'clock, so it's, it's most important that you get there before 5. You bet I'll be there. I'll meet you at the Biltmore Hotel. But try to get to the consulate a little early, dear. There must be no slip-up on this. Darling, don't make it sound so grim. <laughs> grim? Me? <laughs> now, give me a kiss. It's more like it. Now hurry up and find Susan. I'll have dinner ready in five minutes. At noon the next day, I went for a long walk. Once again, I went over everything carefully. This was it, Friday. A few hours from now, I'd go down to the vault and clean it out. It was the end of the month. There'd be payroll money on hand. I'd need something to put the money in. I bought a suitcase, had it wrapped, and left it under my desk. Then the phone rang. Tom Bowers, the manager, wanted to see me. I saw you come in, Jim. Been shopping, huh? <laughs> Box of candy for the wife? <laughs> Could be. Anything wrong, Jim? Wrong? Why, no. They tell me you left before 12. I had an errand to attend to. You had a 12.15 appointment here with a man named Farrington. Oh, sorry, Tom. I, I forgot it completely. I understand he was pretty annoyed. I think you'd better... Hello. Yes, he's here. For you, Jim. It's your wife. I'll call her later. It's all right. Go ahead. Talk to her. Thank you. Laurie? Oh, look, dear, uh, let me call you back later. But I can't wait, Jim. I've had bad news. Mother just phoned. Her car broke down. She may not be able to get here for hours. Well, where is she? In Ventura, and I haven't had any luck finding someone else to stay with Susan until she gets here. Okay, keep trying. Goodbye. Well, just a minute, dear. If I don't find someone soon, I'll never make the consulate by five. You'll have to. I I'll call you later. Trouble? Oh, you know women, Tom. They get upset over the least little things. Well, just be sure to call Farrington. Yeah, I'll call him right away. The Farrington matter was unimportant. A routine apology. I promised to see him on Monday. I called the passport office. They'd come through. Our passports were on their way to the Brazilian consulate. And then I phoned Laurie. So I think everything's settled here. I reached Mrs. Cook. She said she'd come right over. Mrs. Cook? But can you rely on her? I expect her any second. She'll stay until Mother arrives. I... Oh, darling, please, everything's going to be all right? I guess so, sure. I'm sorry I sounded cross, but I've had a, oh, a gruesome day. I'll meet you in the lobby of the Biltmore Hotel. When, dear? What time? As soon after five as I can make it. I'll call later and talk to Susan. Oh, good. She's been hoping so you would. I won't keep you any longer. See you soon, darling. Bye. When I next looked at the clock, the time was 
The tellers had taken their cash down to the vault and gone home. The bank was practically deserted. But Tom Bowers, the manager, was still in his office. His last official act of the banking day was to supervise the closing of the vault door with me. I couldn't make a move till he made up his mind to go home. A cold wave of panic broke over me. What if Bowers... Just... Hello? Hello, dear. Oh, Mrs. Cook just arrived just now. Where are you, Laura? I'm still home. Mrs. Cook was delayed. Uh, I can't possibly get to the consulate in time. What are you talking about? I'll never get there by five, dear. But I'm counting on it. I don't understand, Jim. Certainly the bank can send someone to pick up our passport. Okay, okay, I'll manage, but I can't talk now. I'll go straight to the Biltmore, dear. Bye. I had no alternative, no time even to try to figure one out. I picked up the phone and called the consulate. Yes, Mr. Osborne. Your passports are here, but our office closes at 5 o'clock. Yes, I know, I know, but can't you please ha have someone wait till I get there? We will do the best we can, I sir. I promise to be there as soon as I possibly can. Well, perhaps we can arrange something, but please do not count on it. We will try. Thanks. Thanks very much. Jim, what do you say we close the vault and call it a day? Whenever you're ready, Tom. Aren't you going to answer it? Jim, that's your phone. It wasn't that I didn't hear it, but who could be calling but Laurie, and how could I talk to her with the manager of the bank standing over me? Well, if you won't answer it, I will. I've got it. Hello? Oh. It's for you, Tom. Thanks. Hello? Oh, hello, Dick. Sure, I plan on going to the club on Sunday. Oh, oh, now wait, that's pretty early in the morning for me. Mm, yeah, I suppose I could make it by nine. Eight minutes to five. Hey, Another way, delay. This ridiculous talk about golf. I wanted to yell to bars, hang up, hang yeah, up, hang up, and close the vault and go home where you belong. <laughs> but Al's got a four handicap, and he never shot a 68 in his life. Well, why not? I haven't played a mixed foursome in months. And he went on and on. There was nothing yeah. I could do about it. <laughs> oh, Ella's improved tremendously. Yes, you should see her now. Fine. Okay. See you both on Sunday. Sorry. It's okay. Let's go, Jim. We were downstairs now at the vault. And for a moment, I was quite calm again. I turned the two big wheels that fastened the huge steel door in position. But the actual locking of the door was not accomplished until the small combination dial was flipped. And if it were not flipped... The door could be opened any time. Bowers lighted a cigarette and I pretended to turn the dial. That was all there was to it. Have a nice weekend, Jim. Thanks. Going right home? I I've got a few things to clean up first. Well, see you Monday. Good night, Tom. Twenty minutes later, I left the bank. I carried the suitcase I'd bought that noon. It was very heavy. And in it was almost a million dollars in cash. Make a friend and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind as many another American has. Elizabeth Vining was an American who probably had more individual success than anyone else in creating a strong feeling of friendship between the United States and Japan. In 1946, she was selected for the important job of teaching English 
to the 12-year-old Crown Prince Akihito. Her tour of duty was for two years. In Tokyo, she found a class of 20 boys had been assigned to her. By patiently conducting her class completely in English, Miss Vining gradually taught them a language they were eager to learn. Her methods of teaching and subject matter were of her own choice. The boys studied American history and democracy, had discussions on the United Nations, and the prince memorized Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. At the end of her assignment, Miss Vining agreed to stay another year since the prince's English had reached the point where he could understand the expression of ideas. At the end of the third year, Prince Akihito was well acquainted with English and the benefits of a democratic way of life. Miss Vining's work was finished. The emperor and the empress thanked her for the understanding she had brought to the prince and the Japanese children and gave her many gifts to show their gratitude. And what had Elizabeth Vining learned from her work? That she had contributed much toward the future peace of Japan and the rest of the world. That she opened windows which had remained closed too long. As one of her students told her, you have not only taught us English, you have taught us thoughts. Yes, Elizabeth Vining had learned that by helping others, you help your country. Now, our producer, Mr. Cummings. Act two of The Steel Trap, starring Joseph Cotton as Jim and Teresa Wright as Laurie. The next hour was a nightmare. Everything went wrong. I'd taken a cab, but the streets were jammed with rush hour traffic and the consulate was closed. I found the superintendent of the building. He had keys to the office and I begged him to call the consul himself. It was ten minutes to seven when I left the building. Yes, I had our passports, but there wasn't a chance now of reaching the airport in time. We'd missed our plane. I went to the Biltmore, met Laurie, and called the airline. That's too bad, Mr. Osborne. There's a chance, though, that we can get you aboard our next flight. When? What time? At 12 o'clock midnight, well, That's impossible. I have to make connections in New Orleans with another flight, and it leaves New Orleans at 3 a.m. Well, I, I believe one of the other airlines has a flight leaving here at 9.05. What airline? How can I reach them? Uh, sure, hold on. I'll connect you with the general information desk. Just a moment, Over here, Jim. Any luck? Well, oh, they've transferred our tickets. There's another plane at 9.05. That still isn't enough time oh, for... Oh, glory, please, please. We've got to make it. Now, hang on to me, and we'll find a cab. <laughs> Very important driver. Go as fast as you can. You've 40 minutes to get us to the airport. That can't be done, mister. You get us there by 9.05 and there's 50 bucks in it. 50 bucks, mister? We got wings. Oh, Jim, there's just no sense to this. We can't possibly get there. Can't you go any faster? Look, you think you can do any better? You drive. Who do you think you're talking oh, to? Jim, for heaven's sakes, calm down. This road's lousy with cops this time of night. Yeah, see what I mean? If we get stopped, I'll pay the fine. Oh, this is insane, Jim. I'm... All right, all right, driver. Pull over and stop. Uh, it's okay, mister. Looking back here, it's just an ambulance that is turning off. We can still make it, then. You get us there in time, and I'll double that 50. Hundred bucks? You heard me. Hundred dollars? Are you out of your mind? I know it sounds crazy, Laurie, but there's a fortune involved in this deal, and it all depends on my being in Rio by Monday. What I... What I spend to get there is immaterial. Oh, you're getting hysterical. Now let the driver alone. If we don't get there, we'll just have well, to you wait. You don't understand, Laurie. You just don't understand. <laughs> We were six minutes late reaching the airport, but we made it. The plane had been delayed. Otherwise, we'd... well, I don't know what would have happened. But at long last, we were on our way. 
Oh, I don't believe it. I just don't believe <laughs> it. Excited. Uh-huh. Silly, isn't it? Not at all. When I made my first flight, I oh, was Oh, good scared. grief. What's Laurie? Our bags. We forgot our bags. They're still at the Biltmore. Oh, I didn't forget that. It just wasn't time. I'll send for them. Well, what do we do? Oh, Laurie, I'm sorry. Our first real trip, and it was not getting started with laughter and confetti, is it? I've never seen such a scramble. Jim, what about the bag you were carrying? Like it? Cost me 60 bucks. Why'd you buy it? Well, there, there were things I had to take along from the office. Uh, all sorts of reports and surveys. Uh, too much for a briefcase, so well, I just... 115 pounds of reports? What do you mean by that? Well, the clerk at the airport, when he weighed the bag, I heard him say that... Well, I, I, I guess he should know. Laurie, listen, I'm on a very special trip. It's, it's quite involved and important. It must be. And it's quite a tribute to you, darling. I'm proud of you. And I really admired you tonight. Oh? Yes, no matter how impossible this passport mix-up became, you kept on trying. I'd have given up hours ago, but here we are in the plane and on our way. I think you're wonderful. Jim, what's our first stop? Amarillo, I think. It'll be hours yet. Why don't you close your eyes and get some sleep? Here, put your head down. Isn't that better? Oh, much better. Oh, I wonder how Susie's doing. Sound asleep, I hope. Anyway, Mother's there by now, thank goodness. Mm. Don't you worry about a thing, dear. Just try to relax and go to sleep. It was a ten-minute stop at Amarillo, just time enough for a cup of coffee. We were in the lunchroom when a voice came over the public address speaker. The departure of Flight 88 for New Orleans will be delayed approximately one half hour. Flight 88 is now scheduled to leave in 35 minutes. I wonder why. What about our connecting plane to Rio? You wait here. I'll see what I can find out. I'm sorry you think we're being difficult, Mr. Osborne, but all I can tell now, you please, is... I'm not saying you are difficult. All I'm trying to do is get an answer to a very simple question. And since you're the pilot of the plane, I thought There's you There's a storm between here and New Orleans. The weather reports are rather discouraging. Well, can't you fly around the storm? The area's too extensive. Electrical storms interfere with our radio and instruments. When that happens, flying can become dangerous. I've simply got to get there. Now, listen, Captain. I know how you fellows bend over backwards to play it safe, but I'm supposing you went through that storm, how much risk would you really be taking? It would be a risk. The degree doesn't matter. We were in the air again, but they'd kept us in Amarillo for almost an hour. Fifty vital, precious minutes gone down the drain. Only that wasn't enough. Headwinds. Headwinds all the way. Well, the pilot was very considerate. He came back just to tell us about it. Well, I'm afraid we'll be about two hours late getting into New Orleans. I, uh, I radioed about your connecting flight to Rio, Mr. Osborne. Well? They, uh, they left on schedule. Sorry, sir, but there was nothing we could do about it. Jim. Oh, this is just ridiculous. It's insane. These absurd frustrations, one on top of another. Oh, Jim, please, this isn't like you. This isn't like you My at all. My one big opportunity, all I can do is sit here and watch it crumble to bits. You know, I still don't know what this business in Rio is all about. I told you it's an important deal I'm handling for the bank. I mean, specifically. Well, it, it involves a big loan on a construction job down there, and Monday's the deadline. Don't you believe me? Of course I then do. Then why all the questions? Oh, I didn't mean that. No. I'm sorry. Look, Laurie, <laughs> neither of us has slept a wink. I, 
I mean, not really. Don't you think it's about time we did? I'm exhausted. You must be, too. Yeah. Let me move your seat back. Now, give me a hand. There. How's that? We reached New Orleans, and I went to the reservations counter. I tried to be calm, patient with the clerk. I just couldn't make her understand. Well, the best we can do, Mr. Osborne, is to try and put you and Mrs. Osborne on our first flight tomorrow. Tomorrow? But I've told you it was vital, absolutely vital. I'm afraid there just isn't any other flight today. Jim, why don't we find a hotel? Laurie, please. And I can't promise to get you on the next flight. It's booked solid. There's a good chance, though, of cancellation. I'll buy our tickets from some of the other passengers. I'll pay anything they ask. I'm sorry. It's strictly against company policy to release the names of other well, passengers. Well, how about chartering a private plane? To Rio? That's quite a procedure. You'd have to get a police certificate, oh. health certificate, and permission from every country you'd be flying Okay, over. okay, that's out. As a matter of fact, your chances aren't too bad. Right now, you're fifth on the waiting list. There are only four people ahead of you. We can almost count on more cancellations than that coming through. At any rate, I don't know what else you can do. Come on, dear. Just let us know where we can reach you. What hotel? Thank you, we will. I picked up the suitcase. I had a million dollars in it, and it didn't help. Everything now depended on the whims of four complete strangers, whether they canceled their reservations or not. Looks like a very nice hotel, Jim. Oh, before we go to our rooms, isn't that a drugstore across the lobby there? Oh, yeah, I'd better get some shaving things. Get uh, me a toothbrush, dear, and I'll want some postcards to send to Susan. Aren't you coming along? I want to send a telegram to Mother and tell her where we are. Oh, you won't have to. Uh, we'll only be here for the night. I'd feel better, darling, if she knew where to reach us. Maybe you're right. Uh, I'd better wire the bank, too. I'll tell them to ship our bags directly to Rio. Uh, look, uh, you go to the drugstore and get whatever we need, and I'll send the telegrams. Just so Mother knows, dear. I'll wait for you over there. It was just one more lie. I couldn't possibly risk a telegram to her mother. But I told Laurie that I sent it, and we went up to the room. She was taking a shower when the bellboy came. I'd sent for him. I told him I'd give him $1,000 to get us on that plane to Rio. Oh, did that shower feel good? I hate to put on the same clothes, though. Jim? Who are you talking to just now? The bellboy captain. They always have a lot of connections. I told him to try to buy someone else's tickets. Darling, are you sure there isn't more to all this than you've told me? Oh, listen. Laurie, you know I've never kept anything from you. Why, why are you so concerned? Mostly because of the way you're acting. Oh, darling, please don't make me go over it all again. But you've done everything humanly possible to get to Brazil by Monday. The bank can't expect more than that. How could they hold it against you? <laughs> you still don't understand. No, Jim. No, I don't. Come here. Sit down. Hmm. What's on your mind? I wish I knew what was on yours. I suppose somehow or other being this upset makes sense to you. <laughs> oh, please. Now stop trying to make something out of nothing. Look, we've got less than a day in New Orleans. You've always wanted to see the French Quarter. Let's make this a day to remember. And you can start off by giving me a kiss. Darling... There's nothing more I want than to make every day a holiday. You're a crazy man. I don't understand you, but I love you. 
We took a taxi to the French Quarter and started walking, just a couple of tourists in this wonderful old city, seeing the sights and being duly impressed. Jim, look, there in that shop hmm? window. Oh. Oh, what beautiful antiques and that silverware. Oh, well, they're not for us. Maybe someday when we've got a million dollars. That's very funny. Jim, you told me the bellboy had good connections. Well, what did he say? He said there was a pretty good chance we'd get aboard that airplane. There, that should relieve your mind. Now, come on, I want to see what's around the corner. We saw the famous old absinthe house, and we strolled down Pirate's Alley and bought a flower from a vendor. And Laurie loved every minute of it. And then for dinner, we went to Antoine's, a private dining room, no less. Laurie thought it extravagant, but it thrilled her. And then the head waiter came in. Pardon me, sir, but is your name James Osborne? Yes. There's a gentleman asking for you. How did you know who I was? He described you perfectly, sir. Who is he? I don't know, sir, but he seems very insistent. Show him in, please. Thank you. How could anyone know we were here? What do you suppose he wants? I don't know. Here he comes. What's he look like? Well, turn around, well, dear. I, I'd rather not. Well, he seems very businesslike. Sort of grim-looking, too. Mr. Osborne? Yes? It, uh... It's all right to talk. This is my wife. If you have anything to say, say it. Oh, sorry, I uh, I heard you've offered a $1,000 bonus for two tickets on tomorrow's flight to Rio. Jim. I'm not responsible for what you happen to hear. I never heard of anybody offering that kind of money before. Who are you? My name's Valcor. How did you know we were here? The bellboy at the hotel, Mrs. Osborne. He gave me your husband's description. <laughs> Doesn't take much detective work to find strangers in New Orleans at dinner time. What do you want? Well, I'm with the Bayou Travel Agency. Oh, travel agency. I, I see, then you can take care of us. Well, not exactly, but by switching places with two of our clients, I can put you first on the list. Um, what's your birth to you? On the list? Yes, sir. Well, I don't know. It's not the same as getting two seats. But I suppose it would improve our chances. It'll cinch your chances. At least two people always cancel. How about $300? Fine. Here's my card. You'll hear from me in the morning. Good night, Mr. Osmond. Mr. Osmond. We wound up the evening at the court of two sisters, and Laurie thought it was the most beautiful place she'd ever seen. She'd never looked so happy. We drank champagne. We danced. I'm dreaming, darling. I know I'm dreaming. Supposing this never ended, Laurie. Supposing we could go on like this forever. Yeah, I'm afraid all dreams must end. Maybe not. This Rio deal could develop into something more than a two-week assignment. The opportunities there. Of course, it would mean living in Rio permanently. As long as we're together, darling, you and Susan and I, that's all that matters. But I mean, for the rest of our lives. We'd have each other, wouldn't we? What more do I have? Valcour phoned in the morning. He didn't actually have the tickets, but our chances looked very good. And we were at the airport in plenty of time. The clerk suggested that I check my bag and not to worry. As we left the counter, I saw her pick up a telephone. Customs inspector, please. Hello? This is Briggs with the Chicago Southern. There's a passenger going on 501 named Osborne. He seems quite nervous. He has one piece of luggage that weighs 115 pounds. Just thought you might like to know. 
Right. Passenger Osborne, please. Passenger James Osborne. Will you please report to the customs office? Passenger Osborne wanted at the customs office. Mr. Osborne, sit down, won't you? This is Mrs. Osborne. I'm Inspector Lattimore. You, uh... You're leaving the country, is that correct? We're going to Brazil. There's very little time, so if you don't mind telling well, us... You're what... constantly on guard for people trying to smuggle gold out of the country, as well What's as... What's that a... got to do with us? I'm just explaining why your suitcase is here behind my desk. It... You've opened it? Yes. When we heard it weighed 115 pounds, we were a little curious. I don't understand this at all. What's it all about? Mrs. Osborne, your husband's bag contains almost a million dollars in cash. A million dollars? We didn't count it, of course, but it appears to be nearly that much. Laurie, don't you see? That's why I've been so jittery. I didn't want you to know. I I thought it might frighten you. That money's in currency, Mr. Lattimore, and there's no law against that. But you'll agree it's a little unusual? I work for the Citibank of Los Angeles. The money belongs to them. I'm, I'm transporting it to Rio for them. Can you prove it? Prove it? Why should I have to? Because banks don't transfer money in this manner. All right. Has plenty of identification, a driver's license and everything else. Obviously, the bank has the money insured. Insured? An insurance company would require armed guards, Mr. Osborne. As for your papers, these could be phony. That's ridiculous. And a bank transferring this kind of money to Brazil would operate through American Express. I'd keep quiet, Mr. Lattimore, but I can't keep quiet Laura, any no, longer. No, no, I'm sorry, no. Jim, but if he's trying to accuse you of something, why doesn't he say so? I don't like your implications, Mr. Lattimore. They're insulting. Uh, he's, uh, he's right about one point, the American Express. But what you don't know, Inspector, is the necessity that this money be in Rio by Monday. That's tomorrow. Well, we simply had no time to ship it through the normal channels. Well, that's possible, I suppose. You suppose, indeed. Mr. Osborne, who's the head of your bank? Why? Because I'm going to phone him. But Sunday, the bank's closed. Well, it is home, then. There's no reason to bother him. On the contrary, I think there is, unless you have some reason for not wanting me to call him. His name is Thomas Bowers. This is Latimer. Get me Los Angeles information, please. I'll save you some time. His number is Crestview 54124. Thank you, Mr. Osmond. We'll continue with Act Three of The Steel Trap in a few moments. This is really a story about two people. One is Chief Petty Officer Harry Frame, a veteran Navy electrician who saw lots of action in the war in the Pacific. The other is Mrs. Sadaya Ishiwata of Tokyo. Mrs. Ishiwata turned her home and her fortune over to 53 boys and girls of all ages who were orphaned by World War II and Chief Frame devoted his off-duty hours to helping this tiny Japanese lady. He organized his friends into work teams, and because of their work, the home took on a bright new look. New panes of glass were installed, a new girl's dormitory was built, and twice a week, a Navy truck rolled up with leftover food, writing paper, worn-out clothing, and other contributions from the men. Chief Frame made it his private project toward better relationships between people of two different countries, 
and it's paid off in mutual goodwill. Such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of tomorrow. We pause now for station identification. Curtain rises on Act Three of The Steel Trap, starring Joseph Cotton as Jim and Teresa Wright as Laurie. If Tom Bowers was at home, if Inspector Lattimore spoke to him, nothing I could say or do would save me from a federal penitentiary. But as the seconds went by, it became obvious that Bars couldn't be reached. Lattimore hung up the phone. And it was up to me to make the next move. Your boss, he wasn't there. Don't you understand? The bank couldn't wait for the American Express. There wasn't time. So they sent almost a million dollars, uninsured, no guard? They had to. They had no choice. Then why did you tell me a few minutes ago that the money was insured? I, I didn't have time to argue. Yeah, it seems your boss is out playing golf. The operator's trying to reach Passengers him. Passengers now boarding the Chicago Southern Flight 501 for Caracas at gate two. That's our plane. Yes. Yes, I know it is. And if you keep us here, if you make us miss that flight, I can not only collect damages from the government, but from you personally. I'm well aware of that, Mr. Osborne. Hello? Yes? Oh, no, never mind. There's somewhere out on a golf course. Well... You win, Mr. Osborne. Come on, Laurie. You'd better run ahead. Now take the suitcase. Yes? But there's nothing I can do. I'm letting him go. Hold him on what grounds? He didn't violate any customs law. Why should I stick my neck out? If I'm right, I get a pat on the shoulder. If I'm wrong, he sues me for everything I've got. I've got worries enough as it is. You ever have one of those horrible dreams in which you try to run from danger and you can't move? That's the way I felt then, because they wouldn't let us on the plane. Those cancellations, not one of them had come through, not one. And we just stood there, helpless, as the plane taxied across the field and rose and disappeared. We went back into town. Only this time I chose another hotel, smaller, not as well known. How long will we be here, Jim? Just till morning. We have to get up early. The plane leaves at 7.10. I told the desk to call us at 6. Yes, I... I heard you talking to the clerk. Jim, why did you register under the name of Casey? I, I didn't. The clerk made a mistake, that's all. Why should I use a different name? I can think of only one reason. Well? To make it more difficult for anyone to find us. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a silly thing to do? Not if you were afraid. Afraid of tomorrow, of what the bank would find out. Find out what? That the money in that suitcase was stolen. Laurie. You did steal the money, Jim. You did. All right, I stole it. I'm a thief. I did it, and it's done. But why? Why, Jim? Why? Look at me, Laurie. We have only so many days, so many hours, so many minutes to live. And we're suckers if we don't cram into them all the happiness we can get away with regardless of how we do it. 
Oh, you actually thought we could find happiness on stolen money? Suppose... Suppose you hadn't found out the money was stolen. That's the way I planned it. I intended to call the bank the minute we got to Brazil. They couldn't touch us ever. Because there's no extradition treaty with Brazil. There'd be no need to call the police. It wouldn't even got in the newspapers. Neither you nor anyone who matters would have found out ever. As for the money, I could have alibied that in a dozen ways. In a dozen more as lies. As long as you didn't find out, what difference would it I make? I would have known, Jim. I would have felt your lies. And Susan, what about her? They sent for Susan. They couldn't have stopped that. Oh, you had it all figured out, didn't you? You robbed and betrayed the people who trusted you. Oh, the bank has the money insured. It cost them nothing. Does that excuse what you did? Maybe not. But the difference between the honest and the dishonest, between the stupid and the smart, well, it's a debatable line. No, hmm? it's clear and defined. How about the men who... And there are thousands more just like them who tried to make a big deal out of fixing a loose wire on our television set. They were dishonest. Then again, maybe they were smart. No, they were wrong, but at least they didn't break the law. The law? <laughs> That's a laugh. It's okay to place a bet at the racetrack, but give it to a bookie and you're a crook. You can shoot the works in Nevada, but get caught playing so much as penny ante at home and you go to jail. Everybody, everybody breaks the law. Oh, how can you possibly compare playing bets and paying penny ante with what you've done? All right. Well, I've committed a crime. Well, last New Year's Eve when I drove a car after too many drinks, that was a crime, too, only in that case I was pushing my luck. It could have been manslaughter. No matter how you twist or turn it, stealing is wrong, terribly, <clears throat> horribly wrong. So is drunk driving wrong? You didn't object then. The stakes were only a drive home. Now they are a million dollars, security for life, everything we've hoped for, prayed for. Prayed for? Oh, stealing can never be the answer to a prayer. Oh, Jim, darling. Laurie, what... What difference does it make? I'm... I'm in it now. I'm in it all the way. What... What can we do? I don't know. All I know is I can't be a part of all this. If I get on that plane tomorrow... If I go to Brazil... I go alone... Do you think it'd be any easier on me? No, darling. Darling, why leave me? Why? Jim, do you know what you're asking? You're asking me to give up my self-respect, my country, everything I believe in. No, we have other things to believe in. Yes, Jim. And there are other men besides you. Only I could never love anyone else. Oh, don't you see? A woman who could walk out on her ideals could walk out on her husband if she met another man with a million dollars. No, you can't walk out on me. After all these years, we, we're too much a part of each other. You, you just don't break up a marriage like ours. Oh, you have it backwards. I'm going home to our home to our child. You're walking out on us. Bye, Jim. <laughs> I let her go. I let her walk out. From the window, I saw her get into a taxi. An hour later, I called the airport, but it was too late. Laurie had taken a plane back to Los Angeles. Mommy! Mommy! Oh, darling, darling, how's my baby? You came home, Mommy. Where's Daddy? Laurie! For heaven's sake, dear, I thought you were in Brazil. Hello, Mother. But where's Daddy? Daddy couldn't get back tonight, darling, but he sends you a big hug. Laurie, you you look worn out, dear. Is anything wrong? I'm just tired, I guess. Everything all right here? Oh, yes, of course. I'm glad you're home, Mommy. 
So am I, sweetheart. But it's way past your bedtime. I was almost asleep, but then I heard a taxi cab. You run right back to bed, darling. I'll be up in a little while. Will Daddy come home tomorrow? We'll talk about that in the morning, hmm? Sleep well, baby. Laurie, what's wrong? Please, Mother, not tonight. Have you... have you had dinner? No, I, I'm not hungry. I... Well, how about a cup of coffee with me? <laughs> I love a cup of coffee. Oh, Laurie. Please, I'll, I'll be all right in a minute. We... Uh, we had company tonight. Some friends of yours dropped by. Oh? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Woodley. He's the one from Jim's bank, isn't he? Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, they must have been surprised to find we left town. They seem quite surprised, dear. You didn't tell them where we went? Well, in a way, yes, I, I did. Was that wrong? No. No, of course not. Well, as a matter of fact, it was Susan. She couldn't wait to tell them all about Rio de Janeiro. And then when they asked me, well, at, at first they thought it was a joke. And, and later? Well, I... I'm not sure. He seemed so surprised. He couldn't understand why Jim hadn't told him or or why the bank manager hadn't mentioned it. Well, what did he do about it, Ken Woodley? Why, nothing as far as I know. But they, they left a few minutes later. I know Ken. He's called Mr. Bowers. Oh, Laurie, is this something serious? I oh, mean, I'm too is... confused right now to know what's serious and what isn't. Come on, dear. Let's go have that coffee. I spent most of the day walking, just walking. And with each step, I realized more and more what it meant to be a thief, a man without honor, without self-respect. A man without a wife, without a daughter, without a home. It was dark when I returned to the hotel. I took the suitcase and rushed out to the airport and phoned Laurie. Jim, Jim. If I can get back to the bank early in the morning, maybe, maybe I can return the money. Oh, Jim. I've only used our own funds. The bank's money hasn't been touched. How soon can you leave there? I'm at the airport now. The plane's ready to leave. I'll, I've got to run, Laurie. Goodbye. I love you. Oh. Ken. Ken Woodley. Well, I'm not surprised, Ken. But how in the world could Jim and I go to Rio de Janeiro? That's roughly what I was going to ask Tom Bowers. Uh, well, well, did you? No. I tried to reach him, but I couldn't. You know Bowers. Sunday's his big day. Well, tell Jim I'll see him in the morning. Right. Our best to Nancy, Ken. Thanks, and thanks again for calling. <laughs> At 8.14 the following morning, I walked into the bank. If it was a dead certainty, I'd not be the first employee to arrive. The guard opened the door, and I went in. At this minute, I had to appear casual at a time when speed meant everything. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Hello, Mrs. Carter. Oh, good morning, Jim. Uh, how's the wife, Sam? Been away for the weekend, Mr. Osborne? Oh, well, hello, Raglan. Yes, I, I went away feel all right? You look sort of done in. I just got off a plane, as a matter of fact. Not much sleep, that's all. Well, anything I can do, just let me know, sir. As I went downstairs to the vault room, my one last hope was that none of the tellers would be waiting there, waiting to get their money. 
The room was empty. My heart was pounding, my head spinning. Somehow I opened the suitcase and returned the money. There was a closet in the corner. I tossed the suitcase away and started back to the stairs. They were coming now, the tellers. Then my legs gave away and I fell to the floor. What's the matter? Jim. Mr. Osborne. Mr. Osborne. Jim, Jim, what is it? Bill, Bill, get a chair. Get some water. Relax, boys. I'm all right. I, I just slipped on the steps. Look, fella, you better knock off and go home. Yeah. I think I'd better. Can't tell Bowers, will you? I'm... I'm sure I'll be all right tomorrow. Sure, sure, I'll tell him. And take a cab, you hear? Oh, Raglan, you better walk out with him and call a taxi. All right, fellas. I... Just all in, I guess. Oh, he'll be all right. Nothing's going to get him down. Just a touch of flu or something. I wonder what he did over the weekend. Out on the sidewalk, I told Raglan to forget about a cab. I left the bank and started to walk. I rounded the same corner, dodged the same traffic, entered the same trolley car terminal and arrived back at the same house. The front door was open and Laurie was standing there and Susan. Daddy! Daddy! Jim! And never before had the world looked so good to me. moment our stars will return. Make a friend and you make an ally. There's a thought for you to keep in mind as many another American has. Like Ralph Bunch. In 1947 he was sent to the Holy Land to settle the touchy Palestine issue. Throughout the negotiations Mr. Bunch remained calm and in full control of the situation as an ambassador of goodwill should. At 10 in the morning he would begin his first conference. At 1 a.m. the following morning, he would stop for an hour of relaxation. Then, with a new inspiration, he'd go back to work. He exhausted everyone but himself, but he stuck to the job before him, and believe me, it was a job. The climax came when the Egyptians and Israeli hit a stalemate over the lines separating the east-west fronts. Each refused any line drawn on a map because it would be a visible evidence of defeat. After a steady 20-hour debate, first with the Egyptian delegation, then the Israel, Mr. Bunch tactfully suggested that they draw no line on any map, but instead run the division along a certain road. Both delegations quickly accepted his suggestion. This was just one of many difficult situations Mr. Bunch smoothed out by skillful indirection. When the agreement was finally signed between the two countries, Ralph Bunch had won a two-way fight. He added two more members to the family of the United Nations and won worldwide admiration for his race. Like others, he learned that by helping others, you help your country. Now, Mr. Cummings with our stars. And here they are coming forward for a well-deserved curtain call. Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright. I was never so glad to see anyone reform in my life. It was like a bad dream, wasn't it, when you <laughs> hope you'll wake up any minute. 
I've never dreamed about robbing a bank, but I've spent some horrible moments going to formal parties in my bare feet. <laughs> my favorite nightmare used to be stepping out on a stage and not knowing what play it was. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a terrible dream. <laughs> I should think gentlemen would prefer something pleasant. In fact, I've heard gentlemen prefer blonde. Now I want to tell you about next week's stars. Two of Hollywood's finest. They have co-starred on our stage in light comedy roles. So we have invited them to appear next week in an exciting drama. Cary Grant and Phyllis Thaxter. They will co-star in Warner Brothers' intriguing story, I Confess. Another screen hit for director Alfred Hitchcock. We'll be listening, my lord. Good night. Good night. night. And all our thanks. by Mr. Irving Cummings. Our orchestra is under the direction of Rudy Schrager. This is Ken Carpenter inviting you to join us next week at this same time for another presentation of the Hollywood Radio Theater. Hollywood Radio Theater is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.